0: Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC two eighty eight. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. We got producer Matt on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line, breaking down a pretty solid pay-per-view. We've lost a couple decent decent fights. Obviously, Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. Would have loved to see those guys go at it here. Bryce Mitchell, you know, the whole picture embedded, the purple stuff on his shoulder kind of popped up. He's out, so we're we're losing we're losing some fights here at an un- unfortunate clip, but there's still plenty of great stuff to break down. Uh, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by prize picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to on your first deposit why don't we just get right into it Cody Henry Cejudo takes on Aljamain Sterling in the main event Cejudo coming back from a three-year layoff Henry Cejudo is a minus 120 favorite Aljo can be had for plus 100 take it away
1: Yeah, well, the biggest question mark, I think, on everyone's mind is what's Henry Cejudo been up to for the last three years? Like, did he retire in the prime of his career because he had nothing left to prove? By the way, there was still stuff to prove. Did he retire because of injuries? Did he retire because he figured he was financially set? And so now what's the reason for coming back three years later? Is he healthy? Does he need the money? Does he suddenly just think, I'm that much better than everybody else in the division? I'm not sure, but we can only really base this on the last version of Henry Cejudo that we saw. Who's a a gangster? Who's a badass? You know, a guy that beat Demetrius Johnson at 125 pounds over the course of five rounds. A guy that, you know, has the Olympic pedigree, but also been working on his striking. Breaks down Marlon Marias, Knocks him out in the third. You know, has that pressure game. Knocks out TJ Dillashaw in like 32 seconds. Like, what he's capable of is world class. He's a world class operator. But again, the sport of MMA is super unforgiving. You look at wins that guys had two years ago and they're all of a sudden irrelevant. So when you look at Henry Cejudo, the wins, you know, he knocked out TJ Dillon's shot 32, t- in 32 seconds, but TJ was dropping down to 25 for the first time ever and the last time ever. Bad weight cut. You know, how much does that one mean? Marlon Moraes. Marlon Moraes won the first round against Henry Cejudo. Straight up. Beat him in a striking battle. Why Henry didn't use his wrestling a lot sooner in that fight, I don't know. But he had to rely on Marlon gassing, which Marlon tends to do, to take in him out on that one. And then a win over Dominic Cruz, like, as much as on paper, dude, it's a Hall of Famer. It's a win over a, a former champion, a world-class operator. But... This day and age, Dominic Cruz, like, does it hold the same weight? So, again, Henry Cejudo, we know how good he is, but uh, it's not as if he's beaten any of these new era guys. And Aljo, you know, he's coming off a win over TJ as well, a broken down version of TJ. So, again, not super impressive, but you see what this guy does when he's at his best. You see him land 172 significant strikes over three rounds against Pedro Munoz, a guy that can easily eclipse over 100 significant strikes in three rounds. You know, first fight with Peter Yan, the first two rounds is just output galore you know he's way faster than Henry Cejudo he's got you know a much better jab I would give him the striking advantage the wrestling certainly not on Cejudo's level but his grappling is his grappling is much better so if the fight hits the ground even if he's on the bottom he's going to be okay Henry's got Olympic level wrestling but he doesn't hold guys down for the most part like oftentimes even in that dominant cruise fight last time out he'll score the takedown but his opponent's able to get up fairly quickly I would think Aljo Main Sterling even if taken down gets up fairly quickly if Aljo is able to end up on top you're not getting up as quickly. This guy is super slick. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Matt Sarah, uh, You know, the backpack if he needs to, but uh, he's just a better grappler. So if he's got the striking advantage, and he's got the grappling advantage, and he's got the speed advantage, and he's got the recent experience advantage, so he's the current champion, and it's basically even money, seems like you should take Aljamain Sterling. But to take the tinfoil hat and put it on, Man, if Henry is as good as he was three years ago, like this is what he has going in his favor because he's giving up all those attributes that we just mentioned, Mm -hmm. is that he never stops coming forward. The same thing that broke Marlon Moraes. first round you beat him up, second round Henry's still coming. He's not as fast, but he stays right in distance and he continues to pressure. Aljo doesn't really deal well with pressure fighters. He likes to be the guy coming forward. He likes to be the guy using his speed. But almost universally in all these five-round fights that he's in, He's slowing down the longer the thing goes. In the first Peter Yan fight, I mean, he's definitely up on the scorecards, and all of a sudden he starts to fade. And uh, luckily for him, Peter Yan gets himself disqualified. The second Peter Yan fight, all three judges scored the last two rounds four and five for Peter Yan. Aljo won the first three out grappling him, but four and five again. He's tired in those later rounds. So the Dillashaw fight ended early. But if he doesn't finish Henry Cejudo early, and who finishes Henry Cejudo early? But if he if he doesn't then this thing's going to get dragged out. And I think the live betting market would favor Henry Cejudo in that pretty much anybody that fights Aljamain Sterling have to deal with the speed disadvantage and the grappling disadvantage. That's why he's not a front runner, but he wins the early rounds. They're able to take over late. I would not want to bet Henry Cejudo on a three-year layoff right now at plus 100 when I could probably get him after the first round at plus 145. I might be able to get him after the second round after, you know, plus 200, plus 210. But I think that this is a main event that's really going to favor those later rounds, those championship rounds. Uh, we can move on. Last thing I'll leave you with is: is Aljo the first Peter Yan fight? He comes out way too hot, right? And that's what leads to him getting fatigued. The second Peter yawn fight, he decides to play super conservative. He's very conservative. He puts out half of the output. He doesn't try to ding him up early. He doesn't use that jab quite as effectively. He just tries to neutralize some of the positions and slow down those rounds. And he still tires. Uh, and then in the TJ Dillashaw fight, Til- Dillashaw is broken goods, but he comes out hot like he's shooting right away. He's creating scrambles right away. He's trying to get in his face right away. He's pushing a really hot tempo. So is that him trying to get back to his old ways Him trying to be exciting Him trying to give the fans a big spectacle, which is seemingly what he's always talking about? Or is that him, you know, realizing the conservative approach did him no good? Because if he takes the conservative approach against Henry, it's not going to be good. If he takes the fast output approach against Henry, those later rounds, again, they're going to be key. So I wouldn't rule out Henry Cejudo. But again, we got a cap based on, you know, recent exposure, recent tape, recent accolades. And I just feel like for this price on Aljamain Sterling, I would have to play. Now... Not something I'm super confident in. I would only put it on the top line, just like last week's Ricky Simone pick, if I nothing else jumped out. But this is a 14-fight card with nice picks. I don't think you got to force it onto the top ticket. I think you could just play it later on. Or, you know, at the very least, play it live, and you should be able to get a better price.
0: Yeah, that all makes sense to me. And I, it's kind of the same way that I look at it. Like, this line makes sense if we knew what to expect from Henry Cejudo. And we don't. It's been a three-year layoff. A lot of the fighters that he's been training have came in and looked great. I'm not doubting the fact that, like, he's going to come, like, it's very, very, like, we saw John Jones return from a long layoff, and he looked better than ever. Sometimes the greats just show up. Uh, uh, George St. Pierre versus Michael Bisping came off the shelf after, after a long time. Came in, looked looked tremendous. Henry's on that level. He's in the conversation. Maybe not on the conversation with those guys because he didn't really hang around. Um, didn't have, like, all those legacy fights that maybe the other guys did. But, like, the guy was super, 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 super elite. Um, but, yeah, there's que- there's massive question marks. He's ever-so-slight favorite in this matchup as the market stands right now on a Wednesday. Um, and, yeah, Aljo's got seven-inch reach advantage. Aljo's got massive speed advantage over anybody. He trains, with uh, Mirab on a daily basis, so you know that grind, that grit is, is only getting better every single time that he goes out there. Uh, it's it's Aljamain or pass for me right now, but um, I don't know if I'm going get to get to it from a betting perspective, to be perfectly honest. Because I just don't know if I really have much of an edge on this market. But yeah, as it stands right now, uh, I like Aljo with you for a lot of the same reasons that you said. Moving on to the co-main event. We got Gilbert Burns taking on Bilal Muhammad, minus 125 for Gilbert Dorino Burns, plus 105 for Bilal. Remember the name, Muhammad. Who you got here, buddy?
1: Yeah, so this is a co-main event, non-title affair, but to my knowledge, it's a five-round fight. And uh, I think that, yeah, I think that plays out crucial for Bilal Muhammad. who has got like uh, proven five-round gas tank. Bilal, kind of his thing is he's a generalist. His striking's not world-class. His wrestling's not world-class. His grappling's not world-class. But it's all pretty good, And over the years, he's just been putting it together. You know, he's got high ring IQ. He's got good durability. He's not the fastest. He's a little bit plodding, but he's got a hell of a chin. So he can, you know, cause you to fight off your back foot, exchange with him, take some bad shots early. But again, the durability checks out. He can push you into those deeper waters. In a three-round fight, Burns is dangerous because he's going to have that speed advantage. He will willingly engage Bilal Muhammad in the pocket. And if for whatever reason, he can force a takedown. He's got the grappling advantage, at least the jiu-jitsu advantage on the ground. In a five-round fight, I don't... think Burns has got the gas tank and I know for sure Bilal Muhammad does Bilal's last four fights for example uh, the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight he looks fresh as a daisy after three rounds he out wrestles him easy by comparison both guys fought Steven Wonderboy Thompson Burns was clinging on to him with those takedowns and it was a 2-1 fight whereas I thought that Bilal Muhammad you know fairly easily dismantled him the fight with Vincente Luque training partner of Gilbert Burns you know world-class striker very fast arguably better striker than Gilbert Burns five-round fight again he does an excellent job of just pushing you back causing you to fight off your back foot yeah you can be a world-class striker but you know his his general striking ability coupled with his high level pressure coupled with his ability to mix on the takedowns it's just too much uh, constant grind it tires you out it slows you down it overloads the mind you just don't know what game plan is the proper one and all of a sudden you're behind on the scorecards but after five rounds again looked pretty good and then his last fight against sean brady brady looked okay in the first round again but Bilal just forces him back the entire time against vincente luque he was playing laterally against the cage a lot more allowing vincente that did to come forward in Matador and then just get out of the way, get out of the way. People were saying he was running, then he'd mix in the takedown. Against Sean Brady, complete opposite, marching forward. So again, I think it goes to show to the ring IQ. If he realizes you're fast and dangerous, he'll play to the outside. If he realizes I need to push the pace and slow this guy down, he'll come forward. So again, against Gilbert Burns, we know he's a world-class operator, but he's another victim of who's he been fighting lately, the best guys or the biggest name guys. And he's been fighting a lot of big name guys. You know, George is last time out mazal just didn't have anything to offer him in fact he retires right after the fight not a great look prior to that with neil magny yeah he, he destroyed neil magny which is a credible victory i'm not going to take that one away from him but neil magny's not Blah muhammad at the end of the day you know the takedowns would be a lot tougher Blah muhammad has never been submitted in his career neil magny's been submitted at plenty of times so it's just it's different you get the guy down it's not as easy as i'm going to finish him in one round and i think that's why five rounds is so key for Bilal Muhammad, I know he's got the cardio. I know he's got the durability. I know he's got the pace. He's been quite literally online just calling for Covington, calling for Chamayev, just begging somebody, fight me. Kudos to Burns for stepping up. But short notice stepping up. Short notice Burns stepping into a five-round fight. I, I I can't trust his cardio. I think I can trust Bilal's. The first couple rounds, dicey. You might be able to get an even better plus money line on Bilal Muhammad. But pre-fight flop, I will take the underdog Bilal Muhammad plus 110.
0: Yeah, I actually, I was considering betting Gilbert Burns, and then all of a sudden I realized that it was five rounds. And I'm like, well, then that's why the, I kind of thought, you know, like Gilbert Burns should be like minus 150 here. It's just like a lot of Bilal, you know, takes, takes guys down, is able to neutralize them there. It's just like, well, I don't even think he's going to actually want to take Gilbert Burns down whatsoever, but then once I saw that it was five rounds, I'm like, all right, this number makes a lot more sense to me um, in this type of situation. Gilbert Burns, mass, like super, super quick turnaround. Uh, Bilal Muhammad coming off of Ramadan, I don't know how much that would factor into maybe his cardio or anything like that. He's fought like right after Ramadan before, and it didn't really affect him whatsoever. So um, there's, a, there's a few I, questions. I did a
1: card I did a card on the weekend. A guy was coming off Ramadan. He looked pretty good to me, man. So yeah. uh, I don't know. They say it's like a mental toughness thing. And by the way, um, a lot of it's fasting. And again, I talked to a lot of guys. They won't eat for two, three days. It's like good for you. So it's tough to train during Ramadan, I would imagine. And I've never had to do it. It seems crazy. But yeah, he's been doing this for 10 plus years. Like he, uh, I don't I don't know that that's something that crosses my mind about affecting his performance anymore. But I do hear it.
0: Yeah. Um. I, what I was going to say is that I... I I think the line makes a lot of sense. Again, um, I'm leaning ever so slightly towards below because of it, because of the fact that it's five rounds and um, yeah, I think it's going to be really tough for, I mean, they opened it on prize picks at one and a half takedowns. It moved down to one. It's like, I don't really want to get invested in something that could go under, or I could definitely see a push. I think that one takedown for Gilbert Burns is probably pretty accurate. I wouldn't be surprised to see him shoot them out there, but it's not going to be easy like some of his other matchups that he's had recently to secure those takedowns. Um, Ever so slightly lean towards Bilal Muhammad, but I think the market's got this one right again. Like, it's a close fight. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, may the best man win. Moving on down, we've got Jessica Andrade taking on Yan Janan. Minus 200 for Andrade, plus 170 for Jan Janan. Who you got here, bud?
1: Yeah, it feels like a bit of a trap, so I think Pat Mayo's theory might be uh, onto something, but Andra should win this fight. She's got vast more experience. She's competed at the highest level for a long time. She's still only 31 years old. She in ter- I wouldn't say she's got a clean wrestling advantage as much as she's got a clear str- uh, strength advantage, and that allows her to get the positions she wants. If she wants to take Jan down, I think she could. If she wants to just sprawl and brawl Jan, I think she can as well. She's the heaviest puncher in the division. She's got output for days. She's got everything going for her that she should win this fight. However, you go back to that last fight against Aaron Blanchfield, which is really not that long ago. It's not even three months ago. She just looked way out of it. Like, I guess it wasn't like a full camp and it was a bad camp. Her striking looked way off. She looked tentative for the first time in her career. Her grappling was abysmal. And in the second round, just packs it in and calls it a day. It was quite literally a bad performance since the second that that cage door closed to the second that they raised Blanchfield's hand in victory. So if that version of Andrade shows up, we got ourselves a problem. Now you think she's only 31 years old, so she's not washed. And so what would cause someone like that to just regress? And honestly, I just think it's, she's burnt out. Like, think about how long she's been fighting strictly in the UFC. She makes her UFC debut 10 years ago against Liz Carmouche. you know, the current Bellator champion who was the first woman to uh, fight in the UFC alongside Ronda Rousey. Like, that's going back 10 years ago. She's fighting at 135 pounds. She shows fights with Raquel Pennington. She's got fights with Larissa Pacheco, who wins million dollars in PFL now, fighting at 145 pounds, okay? Uh, Raquel Pennington again, uh, Jessica Pinay Joanne Wood, Angela Hill, and Jacek, Claudia Gadalia, Tisha Torres, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, Rose Namajunas, Zhang Waile, Ro- Rose Namajunas again, Kaitlin and Valentina Shevchenko. There's no fighter that's ever fought in this division that's got ranked in the top five that this girl has not fought. And I think at some point, you're just burnt out. Who am I fighting? When am I fighting? And you know, are they good? Are they bad? What are they good? You just start going through the emotions. Like Jordan Mean is the same thing. Kid turned pro at 16. So so by the time he was like 28, he had a 12-year-long pro career, 40-plus fights. He just didn't want to do it anymore. just didn't care anymore. Body, yeah, okay. It's a little healthy. It's a little banged up. But just like the mentality. So when I see minus 200 on Jessica Andrade in a spot that she should win all day long, I like it. But well, when I get back to these are one of pat's classic spots that ends up cashing plus money and like what has she got to offer what does she got to prove nothing she's won the title she's not likely to get back into title contention she just got dismantled by the future so now she's considered the past even at 31 all just a little bit cause for concern Yawn. meanwhile she's at team alpha male so you would think that her wrestling is going to be on point for this fight if andras tries to shoot which honestly andras doesn't really shoot all that often it's not like her game plan is wrestle heavy, but Jan's wrestling should be good enough. Jan probably tries to shoot a few on Andraj as well for simply no other reason than slow this thing down, make her carry your weight and try to just get some of that explosiveness out of her. But uh, yeah, she's a willing competitor. She's willing to exchange. The way to beat her would be take her to the ground. You've seen girls like Carlos you uh, utilize it extremely effectively, and Andrade, at her best picks her up, dumps her on her head. If she gets KO'd like Rose, great. If she doesn't, Andrade is going to get on top and start mauling you. But but I, I don't think I trust her to grapple. So now we got a striking battle. I got the speed and power advantage on Andrade, and classic Andrade can land well over hundred significant strikes. She's female John Lineker. what I seen in the last fight against Blanchfield, man, she was slow. Her timing was off. She didn't want to engage, and she got stung bad, and she got stung bad early. You know, you go back to the first Rose fight. You know, she is getting killed on the feet prior to slamming her on top of her head. So if Yonda just sprawls and brawls, repeats it to the punch, frustrates her, yeah, she can win this fight. And I'm kind of leaning towards she could pull it out, but I don't know if I got the cojones just to straight up bet that underdog. So uh, for the tentative time being, I think I'm going to take Jessica Ndraaj put it lower on the list, but by the end of the show and I got a rifle off the PRP. You know, if I need an underdog, yawn at this kind of plus money, I think she's got a shot. Pat would certainly agree based on zero re- research or logic and uh is generally right on these kind of matters. So take it with a grain of salt Paul draw should win. Got a bad gut feeling.
0: Yeah I got burned hard on um on Andraj against Blanchfield there. I really didn't give Blanchfield stand up game nearly enough credit. Um I thought it would have she would have to win that fight. By getting the fight to the mat, and uh, I had egg on my face at the end of that one. So when you follow that up with a Andrade with a minus 200 next to her name, naturally I'm not going to be overly excited about it. I mean, if Andrade goes to the takedowns, I think she'll be able to get them pretty easy. Like Mackenzie Dern doesn't have great wrestling, and she was able to get into those positions a few times um, with Yan Jonan, who was able to survive, but... Um, you know there were some dicey situations, situations where like if there's like another ten seconds on the clock, who knows? Probably a different result. And Yang Jidan is not in this fight. I'm with you. I'm picking on but a minus two hundred after getting burned last time out. I I had heard from uh, somebody had reached out to me via via DM. I forget their name, but like right before that, and they knew that I was on on uh, Andraj. Apparently, like she. After Lauren Murphy fight, like after you know landing an obscene number of significant strikes, she hurt her hand, and then the opportunity came up for her to take that fight against Blanchfield in a in a main event slot. So she took it, but she was coming in a little bit injured. It's been three months since then. Uh, I think she gets back on track here. I think she finds the W, but at minus two hundred, with maybe 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 we've seen the best of her. Maybe she's not exactly a title challenger anymore. It's just a, it's a little bit too hefty of a price for me to pay, to feel comfortable paying um, uh, after after what we saw last time out. So Andrade is going to be the pick for me, but no bet. We got uh, Mosar Ivloev taking on Diego Lopez. There is no line on this. We had uh, Bryce Mitchell was supposed to be on this or in this spot. It was supposed to be Bryce Mitchell versus Jonathan Pierce. Pierce pulls out. I think that was a good matchup for Bryce Mitchell. And then Evloev steps up and in, and I was looking at that, and I was just like, I can't think of too many like worse matchups for Bryce Mitchell, you know, Bryce Mitchell coming off of a loss than a Russian who's got nine takedowns in each of his last two fights in, in MMA or in the UFC. And on top of that, has speed and technical striking advantages over him. Like, I just thought that was a horrible spot for Bryce um, Bryce pulls out there was on, on embedded there was I don't know he, he, with this guy it's like it totally could be like he was out, like playing paintball or something like that like that, that was what, where my mind went first he had like this purple stuff on his shoulder I think he kind of revealed that on embedded because he knew he was going to pull out this week Um so that the people kind of know it's like okay the guy probably is actually super injured Um, Something's obviously wrong with his shoulder. He has to pull out. Diego Lopez steps up and in. Um, There are no lines on this fight right now, but Evloev is going to be a massive favorite. Put this in perspective. And, uh, I mean, Lopez had a tough contender series fight when you see what Joe Joe Anderson Brito has been able to do inside the octagon. Um, so I don't hate the fact that, like, you know, go back to the regional scene, get a couple fights, you come back in. But, my God, they're throwing him to the wolves here. If Brito's able to take you down three times, it's like Ivoev should have no problem taking this guy down at will. And when he takes him down, um, it'll be absolutely his world. Um, the only Yeah, the on- it's the only chance that, like, Diego Lopez has potentially – is like any MMA fight. It's like maybe he throws a haymaker and and lands it, but it's like Evlove is going to be a massive, massive favorite, and for good reason. He's obviously my pick, and I assume he's yours.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be contrarian just for the sake of it. Like you said, the only thing that could happen is this is MMA. Nothing is ever a surefire guarantee. So maybe some flying knee. Maybe Evlove shoots a sloppy takedown, and uh, he times something well. But Diego Lopez... He's just receiving a UFC contract. It's a four-fight deal. I'll get smoked in the first fight, but the UFC will bring me back after that. Or I could go back to the regional scene and make $1,000 for, for a fight for the next two or three fights, you know, get wear and tear another year off of my life. Uh, I got to work a side job. Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to take the UFC opportunity. So what we know about him is he debuts on the contender series against Joe Anderson Brito. Joe Anderson Brito, banger, wild man, decent grappling, and that decides to use the grappling. He goes three for four on takedowns on Diego Lopez and had seven minutes and 47 seconds of top control in a fight that lasted 10 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah. It ended up being a foul in the third round. They called it. And Joanna and Brito was up on the scorecards, but all the same. Yeah. He gave up three easy takedowns and had no ability to get back up to his feet. So obviously he loses the fight. The UFC doesn't sign him. He ends up losing to Nate Richardson on the regional scene, split decision. But again, grappling's not all that good. And then he fights, uh, took a couple fights, one against Kenneth Glenn on Fury FC. And then his last one is Angel Rodriguez for Lux fight league. And this Angel Rodriguez guy looks like Scar from the movie Lion King. Like, I don't know what the hell happened to this guy. If you've seen him in a bar, you would cert- certainly not try to fight him. But in an MMA fight, he was a 10 in 10 journeyman. What I noticed about Lopez is even though he's still, you know, developing and improving and getting better, he's very tall. doesn't have a low center of gravity, like a, a, a low uh, base. And he's just very, like, wild, you know. He likes to throw the flying. knee. sure, he likes to come in. He likes to come in with his hands down. He likes to throw a lot of, you know, wide, loopy-type hooks. And for somebody that... Planning on shooting the takedown, he's gonna get mauled time and time again. Joannis and Burrito opted to do it, and I would think a guy like Mavzar Ivloev decides to do it too. If I was to come into this fight with no ACL of his left knee and couldn't physically shoot the takedown, he still beats Lopez on the feet for the record. He's got better kickboxing, he's got five round or he's got solid cardio, solid durability, his striking is really not all that bad. But why would you play the what-ifs of MMA when you could just take the path of least resistance, which is the wrestling, and that should be just on the table. All day long, so yeah, I don't know what the line is. I would have to guess minus 850 as a soft opener, probably gets piled up to like minus 1100. People will say, I'm not betting that it's crazy, and I agree, it is crazy. The guy could slip on a banana peel, but at the end of the day, they brought in somebody for no other reason than they feel bad that Mobs are fight was going to get scratched this late and decide to just throw him a warm body to keep him, uh, you know, to keep the ring rust off. I guess eve hasn't fought in a year, he's been injured, right? So I think they just want to get him back in there. He's 16 and 0. You can market this guy; he's a title uh, challenger. S- having him sit out for another month or two to take on somebody else does does nobody no good. Find a warm body, throw them in. Oh, I got one, Diego Lopez. Well, that's the guy. But uh, Eveslof wins this thing pretty clean. If you're gonna probably want to try to improve the price tag, and then do you go with the Eveslof by decision, Eveslof inside the distance? The guy's on such short notice, it's probably uh, a beating. But Eveslof is not a big power puncher, not a big submission guy. He mostly just, you know dominates you beats you in every aspect but doesn't necessarily put that finishing touch on the guy so i can see lopez surviving at least the over one and a half the over two and a half maybe uh the later this thing goes if he's real tired and he accepted this thing on literal short notice which he has yeah maybe will finds a way but i can see this thing still banking in some ring time
0: all right we got uh charles Jordan taking on cron gracie charles Jordan, a minus 175 favorite gracie can be for plus 150 who you got
1: Yeah, this would be underdog number two, but uh, it's all just theory, right? Like, what do you know about Cronk Gracie? We're talking about Henry Cejudo and why we can't bet him because he's been off for three years. Well, Cronk Gracie's been off almost four years. You know, he was 30 years old when he left, and now he's 34, so it's a a hell of a difference. And what you did see from him the last time out against Cub Swanson is he's very one-dimensional. He doesn't have the striking beyond those little Gracie uh, leg kicks to really sustain himself over a prolonged striking battle. His wrestling, really not good enough to get down these guys in the top 15. And his jiu-jitsu, well, it's world-class. So how do you use the jiu-jitsu? Well, I got to knock the guy down or take the guy down. And again, if he's not going to be able to do that, then he's not going to be elite. Now taking off four years from him, his striking has not gotten marginally better. His wrestling has not gotten marginally better. And of course, his body and his physicality would start to regress at this point in his life. So what version of Cron Gracie are you getting couldn't tell you, but one, he's got absolutely nothing to lose. Like his whole undefeated Gracie thing, and the son of Hicks, and this and that, it's off the table. He just lost to Cub Swanson, so in that regard, it's a weight lifted off your shoulders. Next thing is he's 34. He's not crazy enough to think he's gonna make a title child, uh, title run anytime soon. So it's all about just getting out there and letting it all go. And if he does, Charles Jordan creates the mistakes for himself he's just too wild you know he likes to throw the flying knees he likes to throw the spinning backfist he likes to do all these different things but again that just creates the openings to get taken down and charles jordan is one to get taken down his debut against desmond green taken down four times his fight with andre feely taken down five times he got taken down by marcelo rojo yeah marcelo rojo the argentinian banger in his mid-30s still did take him down julian rosa took him down twice and mauled him once he got him down by the way andre Ewell. Andre Ewell, the boxer, one-dimensional boxer, uh, he, he takes him down. Lando Venata takes him down. Shane Burgos took him down twice. Nathaniel Wood took him down five times. He shows career takedown defense in the UFC of 48%. And he's taking on Kron Gracie. And Kron Gracie's plus money. That's good enough for me, man. That's honestly good enough for me. If Kron just slinks onto his back and, and puts the body triangle in, that's the end of the round. If Kron's good enough to do it for two rounds and he's got this thing on the scorecards and Jordan, the more that he tries to push the pace and throw these crazy techniques, again, he's allowing himself to get grappled. He's allowing himself to get taken. These guys that will fight with a smart game plan of jabbing Kron from distance, sprawling out the shot, making him come to them. Yeah, they'll have a lot of success with them. These guys that are going to try to wow the crowd on a UFC pay-per-view in Newark, New Jersey, and everyone's frothing at the mouth. And I've got a legendary Gracie in the other corner. I want to have a show. Knock this guy yeah yeah well you're gonna create openings for him and i think that's all cron needs you saw cron in his debut against uh bruce leroy bruce leroy is legit he really mm-hmm. is and his grappling is very very good he makes like the one slightest mistake cron takes his back and chokes him out dems to breaks Cub's a lot more well-rounded Cub fought a good game plan charles has massive takedown defense issues grappling's not all that good and just fights way too chaotic to consider him having a good ring iq so uh the openings will be there for Kronin, at plus money. I'm going to take a stab.
0: I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I, I was looking at this matchup and I was just like, you know, if it stays at range, Charles Jourdain is, is obviously yes. super dangerous, but you go through all of his previous fights. He's, they, they The UFC did a good job of finding, and he's still the underdog in the spot, but it's like they did a good job of finding somebody that fights exciting fights and, Gives a window of opportunity to Crown Gracie. Um, Gracie by sub, I just snagged a little bit of it at plus 230. Um, I see it like moving to plus 175 in some other spots. So people are moving in on that. Um, and I am one of those people. Don't hate the, sh- the shot, Cody. Um, you know, when Cody Saptic backs underdogs, Paul Shag listens. That's uh, That's kind of the story of this show. Uh, moving on down, we got Drew Dober taking on Matt Frivola. Drew Dober, a minus t- 210 favor. Frivola can be had for plus 180.
1: Cody. Yeah, yeah. so this is like the tale of two fight. I'm not, not even really. Like, Frivola wants to get his wrestling going 100%. If he can lean on Dober and he can grind Dober down, that would be his path. This thing is, is that he's hella chinny, man. Like, if he gets chin checked, he's falling over. And he's taking on Drew Dober, who maybe has the best chin in the game, dog. Um, so again, you look at Matt Frivoli, debuts in the UFC. Uh, he fought Polo Reyes, right? Super low level fight. Polo Reyes drops him twice in the first round, knocks him out. His fight against uh, Lando Venata and ended up being a draw. But Lando Venata dropped him twice clean in that fight. His fight with Terrence McKinney while well, he lasted seven seconds and he was unconscious. I think that a guy who's a super heavy power puncher like Drew Dober, he'll have the opportunities and taking Dober down is not exactly as easier. It's a lot easier said than done. Like he lasted into the third round with Islam Makhachev. Yeah, he's getting taken down. He's getting dismantled, but yeah, he can get back up. He can survive. His grappling is really not all that bad. He trained with a world class team. What he does give himself is opportunities to land his big shots. And I don't think Frivol is going to stand up to it. Again, MMA math never works. But just to show you, like Terrence McKinney, Terrence McKinney fights Matt Frivola. He lands one single straight left hand to the jaw, seven seconds in, and Matt Frivola is unconscious. Terrence McKinney fights Drew Dober. He dropped Drew Dober. He's the only guy in the last 10 years that has knocked Drew Dober down to the ground. And he did it with. Like, a flying knee to the face. And Drew Dober got back up and proceeded to win the fight. So, you always mention Drew Dober's jaw, the shape of it. You bring up the picture a dozen times. Facts, man. He's super, super, super durable. And not only that, he's got a lot of power. He is a world-class striker. you seen him, you know, just knocks out Bobby Green. It's a solid win. Prior to that, uh, you know he's fought in some of the best guys and he and a lot of the time he gets his power going he gets the punches going he gets the knockouts going the one thing i will say is that he's not exactly fighting a whole lot of wrestlers bobby green's on a wrestler Rafael as more of a wild man i wouldn't consider him a wrestler chance but he can wrestle just opts usually not to wrestle brad Ridell's a striker makachev obviously he dominated him and it's hard to compare anybody to him in that spot because he's just so good but then prior to that you know alexander hernandez took him down three times so The wrestling should be there, and Fravola could use that as an avenue, but in a three-round fight, not a five-round, even in a three-round fight, Dober's going to have time on his feet. Dober's going to work his way back up. Dober's going to land strikes, and I think that when he does, he's going to topple Matt Fravola over. So I would say Dober, Dober by knockout, I'm feeling the under one and a half, but maybe I'm just getting greedy and all that stuff, so I'll just pick Dober straight up.
0: Yeah, fravola has been on a nice little run the last two times out, but... uh hard to get the Terrence McKinney knockout out of your brain and yeah like Drew Dober's there's there's only a couple things that can like survive nuclear fallout it's Drew Dober's chin and the rats like those are the only two things that would be able to survive just the amount of damage that the guy takes but it's like it is built for damage he's just like his his chin is just like so muscular so defined so wide it's just like some people are just You know, preconditioned to take a beating. Drew Dober is one of those guys. And he can unleash a hellacious beating on the other side. is going to have to get the grappling going early and often. I wouldn't be shocked to see him, like, pull off a submission. That's how you beat Drew Dober. But uh, at range, I don't think it's remotely close. And I think... And yeah, I think Drew Dober knocks him out um, whenever frivola has taken on like a serious power puncher and hasn't been able to get him out of there early. Um, he's usually suffered with his own chin. So he's had a nice little run. I love Frivola. I think he's uh, a fun guy in the UFC, but I think it's a little bit too much for him here against Drew Dober. So agreement there. We got Kennedy and Jaku taking on Devin Clark. Kennedy and Juku, minus 190, favorite Clark can be had for plus 165. I took a shot at plus 180 on Devin Clark. Not exactly my favorite fighter historically. I just thought the line is a little bit wide. You go to Kennedy's fight. Um, when he took on, or Devin Clark is coming off of a win last time out against, uh, what's the Korean? Da Jung. Da Jung. I mean, Da Ong-Jung was able to land the perfect shot. Knockout Kennedy and Jukwu. Um Obviously, MMA math is, you know, it, it doesn't work all of the time. But I was pretty impressed by, like, Devin Clark. I avoided him against Da Ang Jung last time out. And, like, he went out there and just dominated that fight pillar to post. I think a lot of, like, the concerns about his chin are a little bit overblown, to be perfectly honest. And I think he's kinda coming into his own right now. When when and then when you look at Kenny and Juku, he's gonna have he's massive. He's six foot five. He's gonna tower over Devin Clark, who's a little bit undersized for the division, but like have you seen that guy's thighs? They're super, super thick. Like he's carrying a lot of lower lower body weight, which is why he fights at two hundred uh two hundred and five pounds. But uh but yeah, I think he's kind of coming into his own. We've talked about him being chinny a whole bunch of times. He's been rocked, but it's like he's been being, he's been proving himself to be able to fight through a lot of that stuff recently. So a plus one eighty, there's plus one sixty-fives out there. I think Devin Clark is a is a live dog here. He's just gotta stick to the game plan, push Kennedy up against the fence, uh hold position, make it really, really dirty. Cause that range, obviously I think he gives up a lot to the enormous Kennedy and Jaku. But uh, it's going to be Devin Clark for me. What about you, bud? Yeah, I
1: actually uh, ended up going with the same thing, Devin Clark. Uh, there's just too much plus money here. I think that it's a it's a good enough price tag considering Devin Clark can just control him up against the cage, try to use his wrestling, and I think that's what he will do. To your point about Devin Clark being chinny, maybe he's not as chinny as we thought. Um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I don't think he's got the best punch resistance in the world simply because he's not a huge guy and he has to fight some bigger guys. But uh, his last fight with Dong Jung, he got his head busted by an elbow in the first round. It's bleeding all over the place. He's very much unfazed by it. His fight with Alonzo Menafield, he almost got one of his eyes swollen shut in the first round by a nasty uppercut. And again, unfazed by it. What he has at this weight class is cardio. That's his best weapon. Yeah, he can wrestle a little bit. You know, he's a former uh, NAIA All-American. The guy's got some wrestling in his back pocket, but... At the end of the day, it's not so much his wrestling, it's his cardio and his cage control. He's good at pressing guys up against the cage and just dirty boxing them and is effectively able to do it for three rounds. Now, you talk about the Daung Jung fight. What else is good for him, man, is that he's taking on Kenny and Jaku now, He's six foot five and he has all this range. Daung Jung's six foot four mm-hmm. and has a whole lot of range as well, 78 inch reach, not quite 83, which is just freakish, but all the same. He just fought a big guy. And so, what does he do in that fight? Okay. Six seconds. Into the fight, Keith Pearson says, "You ready? You ready? Let's go." He comes out. He comes out. He fakes a right hand and he shoots right into a takedown and presses him up against the cage. That's the way to fight. That's the way he fought Dong Jung. The entirety of the fight, he's tired him out. He wears on him. He uses wrestling. It's not about standing at distance and banging out with these guys on the feet and having the crowd go nuts. It's about what's the most effective strategy to get the win. A couple fights back against William Knight. Fights actually at heavyweight. Devin Clark comes in at 224 pounds. So again, that's probably his walk around weight, two twenty four. But It's all in his legs, baby. The guy has just got big, big, thick, strong legs. And a guy like Kennedy, he on paper, he shows an eighty percent takedown defense in the UFC. But that's just the numerical number of it, the facts of it. Contender Series, two takedowns against Anton Burzin, he gave up. He got taken down by Paul Craig. There was no wrestling. He got absolutely pillar to post dominated by Darko Stosic in the wrestling department. He had landed four. He still somehow still squeaked out that decision win, but. Four takedowns there. Two against Daniel Marquez. He was down two rounds going into the third. Gate mm-hmm. got taken down by Nikolai Negamariano. He got taken down last time out against Ian Cludalava, two times. Sure. And it's that last one that I want to focus in on. Ian Clutalaba, who generally fights like a wild man, decides I want to wrestle this guy. And what he does is he presses Kennedy up against the cage and then from there starts working the under of the over-unders. And what he gets him with is the outside foot trip. Okay. So just off. Offset his balance. He's a big, tall guy. And the outside trip generally works very effective on these guys. When you look at Devin Clark, that's his best takedown is the outside trip. He'll dig under hooks. He'll try to off balance you and trip you to the outside. I think it'll be effective against Kennedy. Whether he's able to hold him down for the entire round, I don't think so. I think Kennedy will probably work his way back up. But when he does, press him back into the cage. Win the round. Make it dirty. Make it boring. Make it ugly. But win. And that plus money, I think Devin Clark can do it. And he's smart enough that that's how he fights. He knows that's me at my best. I just cashed a ticket in my last fight as a plus 200 underdog. I can do the exact same thing here. And if he does, he'll be effective. Path number two is he starts off pretty good. You can get a good live price on Kennedy later on, and Kennedy melts him at some point. But I'm going to go with the first option, which is uh, he holds on to him against the cage and wins two of the three rounds, survives, or just wins all three. Gets him down if need be, controls some of the ring time, and uh, picks up a dog win.
0: Love it. Love it when I've already put money on an underdog and Cody agrees with me. Nothing. I was worried that you were just like, no, first-round knockout, Kennedy. And I was just like, oh, God. I, I wouldn't
1: would, be confident I'm in it, but i am take the underdog. I yeah, mean, yeah.
0: the first-round Kennedy <laughs> knockout is live. It's definitely well in play. Like I'm not I'm not going to be stunned if I lose a plus-180 wager on Devin Clark. But um, I think he's got the tools to, to, to pull this one off. Um, anything can happen when people strip down to their underwear and fight in a cage for money. So... Be prepared for the worst, but uh, hope for the best. Moving on down, we've got Chaos Williams taking on Rolando Bedoya. Chaos Williams is a minus 315 favorite. Bedoya can be had for plus 265. Cody, I don't know anything about this Bedoya guy. Please enlighten me.
1: I would think Roland Bedoya is a dead man walking on the green mile. He's uh, been at it for a long time. His amateur career dates back to 2013, so he's been at it for 10 years. And he's pretty much exclusively fought in peru now he's a training partner of charles Oliveira. thing is is that the guy's picking up quality victories in peru he's training with a great guy like charles Oliveira, and yet at no point does anybody land him on the radar he is wild he's not very technical but he's a brawler he's going to get in your face and he's going to try to brawl with you it's exciting on the south american regional scene how it translates over to the UFC. I'm sure there's some guys that he can beat. Uh, unfortunately, they did not give him a particularly good matchup in his debut. If you go back and you watch just two fights ago uh, against Mauricio Alatora, okay? So the fight's in 2021, but it's two fights ago for uh, Batoya. <clears throat> this Mauricio Alatora, he's 40 years old, okay? And he was on a seven fight losing streak. Of those seven fights, six of them were by knockout. So he's just an old journeyman. And this old journeyman, Almost beats Batoya a bunch of times, dude. He almost knocked him out. Not a good fight. Not a good win. The guy's 17 and six against nobody on a long losing streak and 40 years old. Not really quality. And he gotten dinged up in that fight. So again, when you see him, it's like, I think he's very physically strong. Uh, If you listen to me break down guys from Peru on this show, they're all physically strong. I got a lot of respect for them. I think that for... You know, guys that probably don't have the most uh, training outlets and tools and funding and all that. They're very strong. They're very primal. They're very good fighters. But unfortunately, a lot of them just lack that that skill. And in Batoya's case, he's not young, getting better. He's been at it for 10 years. He just, he is who he is. He's raw and he's going to come at you. Chaos Williams, meanwhile, Chaos Williams kind of used to be in a similar situation in that he didn't really get to get into fighting right off the get-go. He went to jail. He spent years in the prison. When he got out of prison, he's like, I can fight. And damn, he went lying, man. This guy can fight for sure. He's got wicked fast hands. He's got massive, massive power. You watch his two fights in the UFC. He dusts Alex Morono in like 36 seconds. He beat Razak Al-Hassan. It looked like he was a legitimate power puncher that could carry on. Unfortunately, doesn't have those skills quite yet. But boy, he's been putting them together. And I actually really like what I see out of him. He beats Matthew Summelsberger on, you know, a solid fight. Stayed at distance. Played it very smart showed like a level of maturity the next one against miguel beza starches miguel beza takes him to the third round and he shows that that big power he's got in the first yeah it carries right through man this guy can knock you on the first he can knock you on the second he can knock you on third that's bad for batoya because he's probably going to get knocked down the first but if for whatever reason he doesn't he's going to get knocked down in the second or he's going to knock down in the third round chaos williams then has a very competitive fight with randy brown i personally was very heavy on randy brown split decision win dicey chaos williams is putting it all together he's in a room right now with some of the best guys in michigan some of the best guys in the sport you know he's worked with jamal hill and at 29 years old wrestling lots in camp fantastic shape he's gonna get sneaky good man and he's gonna give a lot of these mid-level top 15 to top 10 range guys some serious problems and uh because he's been off for a year and they're trying to ease him back in they've given him a guy that's likely going to stand right in front of him and get completely starched and they're looking to promote these guys from michigan and new york in new jersey because they're in new jersey for this card so how else are we going to get this crowd to light up and get on their feet and and go nuts uh, we're going to give a peruvian guy who's tough as nails and willing to stand right in front of guy whose first name is chaos his mom switched it because uh he was chaotic in his childhood and and now is a full-grown man like he's got some absolute chaos in both hands he lands on you it's going to be a bad day if you had striking defense if you had an ability to move laterally if you had an ability to just wrestle for 15 minutes you can avoid that big power But Toya doesn't do any of those things. In fact, quite the opposite. He stands right in front of you. So I just can't see it going well for him. Other than you mentioned this. It's a fight, man. It's MMA. Anything can happen. You you just got to land the white shot, the right shot at the right time. But again, I I think Chaos Williams has got him fairly outgunned here.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the tricky part is like Chaos Williams at some shops is already like minus 200 inside the distance. Mm -hmm. Um, This other guy's never been finished. But, like, he's fighting, like, taxi cab drivers in, in Peru. Like, it's pretty um, – I mean, the obvious play is Chaos Williams inside the distance. Chaos Williams round one. Um, it's one of those spots that's, like, do you have the cojones to pull, like, uh, maybe Chaos fight? Now, Chaos is, you know, big fight, big thing. Took it a little bit easy in some previous matchups here. It's like he's probably coming for blood right out, right from hop. Right? Like,
1: he's going to have a lot of fans there, too. And if you go back to his fight with Michelle Pereira, thank God they scored it for Michelle Pereira because I would have taken a bath. But they could have scored it for Chaos Williams, man. He gave him one hell of a go. Like, this guy, I've underestimated him since the get-go. And you know what? It was probably just ignorant of me. Like, this guy was in jail. He wasn't training. But it's like, this guy's got a desire and a natural athletic ability that he just grinds in the gym. He's going to get a lot better. And if you check him out on social media, uh, you check out his gym on social media. He's a workhorse. 29 years old, already got God given power in both hands. I think it'd be a problem.
0: He shows up in great suits to like post flight press conferences. Guy's got swag, just oozing, oozing swag. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Williams inside the disc. I'm not going to get cute and try to chase a decision here. I don't know enough about Bedoya to, to know that like he could survive. The death touch. We've talked about Chaos Williams having the death touch before. Some people have survived, but he's long overdue to uh, to knock somebody's head off. So... With. And
1: if he asks, if he says, you know what, I'm going to talk to Charles Oliveira, who better to get advice from, you know, one of one of the best light ways to do it in an absolute tyrant than with Charles. It's like, hmm, OK, you you get knocked down early and then you get knocked down again and you submit him. <laughs> but Batoya, you're he, probably not going to get up after the first knockdown. Certainly not going to after the second one and not submitting him. So Charles, don't move his head, man. And Batoya, don't move his head either. Charles has an X factor up his sleeve that he can pull out. I don't- until totally it does, but anyways, we spent a lot of time on this uh, debuting fighter, so we can move on.
0: Well, I needed I needed to get all of the information <laughs> out of it, but like, yeah, if you're not moving your head against Chaos Williams, that head's about to get knocked off. So, yeah, he's a rifle fave from the sounds of it. Here, uh we move on down. We got Marina Rodriguez taking on Verna Genjiroba, minus one forty five for Rodriguez, plus one twenty five for Verna. Who you got here, buddy?
1: Hot man strikes again, we're going to go with Verna Jandaroba. Now, again, if Verna decides to stand at distance, this ain't going to go well for her. She's very plodding. She throws the same punch uh, very uh, predictably. You know, She's kind of just like a one-and-done with that right-hand standing. But, man, the girl can wrestle, and that would be the key. Marina Rodriguez gives up takedowns in every single one of her fights. This is just running back. Mendo Lemos, one. Um, Jan Janan, two. Mackenzie Dern, one. Yeah, Mackenzie Dern. Michelle Watterson, one. Amanda was one. Carla at five. Cynthia Calvillo, three. The last person that didn't take her down would have been Tisha Torres, and that was four years ago. So it's always been a kryptonite in her game is that she gives up takedowns. And at 36 years old, she's low-key past the best days of her life. Yeah, she can strike, and she's got some decent power for 115 pounds, but the wrestling just never caught up. It is what it is. Now let's talk about the Rebus fight. You know, Get taken down early, survive the first, and then Cole Cocker in the second. Yeah, that could happen here you can stay in the fight long enough to land those shots i'm, I'm hoping drew doberg uses a similar strategy which is maybe give up some early takedowns but work your way back up and land those shots but verna's physically strong and like her wrestling is really not all that bad so you're looking at her last fight against angela hill four takedowns she was able to take down reba she was able to take down Mackenzie and she was able to take down i don't know it's not worth talking about the fleece Harrigs and the mallory martins of the world the main thing is is that her wrestling is pretty solid for women's 115 pounds her world her uh, jiu-jitsu in her top game world class at this level she just needs to get those takedowns in two of the three rounds if she gets one i don't think rodriguez is getting back up if she can get a takedown in the second rodriguez, probably not getting up she loses the third round but doesn't get knocked out all good the thing is she's got to commit to it and she's not exactly young herself and i think she's got a bad knee so what kind of shape is she going to show up in I-, I don't know but again a plus money does she have a path to victory yeah 100 percent. she ha- is the superior wrestler taking on someone who just struggles massively in these spots, right? With, with giving up the takedown and her jujitsu is good enough that it's not as if take her down. And then, uh, you know, she explodes back up and you got to chase another one. It's just like, take her down and staple her to the mat. Angela Hill's a far superior striker. Angela Hill's got a ton of experience. Angela Hill's been working on her takedown defense a ton, but Vernon just puts hands on her and she's like very freakishly strong. So um, there's a, there's a very clear Avenue here for her. And I think that she may be able to play it. If she was the favorite, well, maybe I'd be considering the other side with Rodriguez sprawling brawling or getting taken down early, but hopefully winning second and the third round based on volume or some type of theory that I would have concocted. But yeah, this is just goes half Pat Mayo theory and half wrestlers generally win these spots, but I think the grappling will be key. So I would take the plus money shot here on uh, Jandaroba.
0: You read my notes, bro. You need- No, dog. Are we on the same page. You steal, I like- you steal my bets. <laughs> I uh, I took a stale plus 140 the market moved a little bit, but I still think I like plus 125s that are out there uh, for a lot of the same reasons as you. I, well, I mean, I took the plus 140. I saw the market move in that direction. It's just like, well, Jandiroba has the exact kind of skill set that causes Marina Rodriguez problems. We saw Marina Rodriguez is, uh, yeah, I mean, she's got she's going to have a striking advantage. She, she lands some some, some real kill shots over the course of her career, but every single fight, Jinan take, uh Jinan took her down two times. Carla obviously is one of the best wrestlers in the division's history, but yeah, took her down five times. Cynthia Calvillo, three times. It's like, that's exactly what Verna's going to do in this fight. And Verna is probably pretty similar to like Dern, but with better wrestling and not as crazy jujitsu. So I think Verna makes this ugly. Holds her up against the cage. Gets takedowns here and there. Um, fights a very very smart fight and 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 pulls away an ever so slight greasy kind of decision um, as women's MMA fights tend to be. Um, so yeah, I'm with you, uh, Verna. Plus 125. Don't hate it. Uh, i'm not entirely sure where this market's gonna go by the end of the week so there could be some love that comes back in on rodriguez and you get a better price than plus 125 because it seems to have definitely stalled they're getting buyback on both sides of the uh of this matchup at this point oh we got a doozy here next cody
1: oh do we ever pull we got Paul, porker we ever
0: we got porker he's taking on uh ufc debutante Braxton Smith, uh, Parker Porter, is a minus-175 favorite. Braxton Smith can be had for plus-150. Watch a little bit of tape on this Braxton Smith fella. And, I mean, he is exactly what you kind of expect a 5 and one debuting heavyweight brawler to look like. Um, I don't see much footwork... I don't see much skills outside of the fact, like, the guy's super, super thick. He's short. He may not be easy to take down, but, like, he's, like, a former kickboxer. So, it's like, I don't think he has any sort of grappling to speak of. (laughs) The guy just throws absolute haymakers, and it's heavyweight MMA. So, I'm sure crazier things have happened. Parker Porter has been starched early in fights by... Guys that just land the perfect shot as anybody, as can happen to pretty much anybody in a heavyweight MMA. You know me, low-level heavyweights. I was just praying that I could get on board the Braxton Smith stuff. Which is like, I just don't see very many tools there. Like, I don't think that there's really much to this guy yet. Yeah, maybe he's going to be making some serious improvements. But from, like, the limited fights that he has out there, they're all, you know... He's finishing guys super, super early. It's not like nice setups. It's not nice footwork. It's like literally just him going forward and throwing absolute haymakers. Um, It's fun. It's enjoyable to watch. But it's like it's not how you get wins long term in the UFC. Parker Porter is the pick for me. Um, I was interested. I haven't seen... I haven't looked since I was thinking about. It. I was the only way I could ever get involved in like a Braxton Smith prop, and I bet you they're probably pretty short. Yeah, Smith in round one, I see out there at plus two hundred. It's like that's probably his own. He's gonna have to land a big looping bomb, lands at the perfect time, perfect spot. They're not even giving you much better than his money line, um, and some people are moving in on that. It's probably his only path to victory. It is low-level heavyweight. It's not the craziest thing that would ever happen. But um, I really don't see the tools all there for him to be successful at this level long-term. Parker Porter is the pick for me. Ugh.
1: Yeah, listen, I can't disagree. Like I can see Braxton Smith, uh, Braxton Smith winning the fight, but yeah, just what? What? Why would you bet him off any other thing than puncher's chance? And yeah, he's he's definitely does got that. But he's a guy that made his pro MMA debut at 24 years old, right? And he fought Chase Sherman, and he got absolutely whipped. And then he took eight years off. He only comes back in 2022, and that's when he beats 0 and 0, 2 and 0, 11 and 6, 3 and 2, all in 2022. And he beats Chakori Savage to start twenty twenty three, and now he's in the UFC. So, guy didn't fight for eight nine years, and then he just racks up five wins in the span of eighteen months or something, and boom, you're in the UFC. Thirty three years old now, in the UFC. Five foot eleven. How many other heavyweights in the UFC are below six feet? You got Chris Barnett.
0: Ilir Latifi, when like wow, when he's he, not a heavy, he didn't want to, but you're right?
1: But you're right, yeah, he's you're right there. But, but you know what I'm saying, dude, like none of these heavyweights are below six feet, mm-hmm. so I know when he's gonna come in. And you you said, Oh, he throws bombs, he throws, he's wild, he throws bombs, he does, he does. Here's the one thing that he forgot to that you forgot to mention he's throwing these bombs from way downtown. Oh, definitely. it's not like he sets these things up, no. they are just coming from the hip side and and got big power gonna knock guys out he looks like carl winslow from family matters um only jacked up and maybe on steroids. yeah so how do you beat parker porter well there's only one real style that works for you which is just bum rush these guys chuck wild bombs and maybe land and how could you potentially beat parker porter yeah, exactly that he's been knocked out four times but maybe more important is that he's been knocked out all four times in the first round most times fairly early in the first round john jones back in the day but he actually got knocked down 36 seconds against john jones this josh diekman who is a journeyman uh, you know a seasoned journeyman but again he lasts a minute and 12 seconds his fight against chris Doukas in the ufc uh he got dropped twice in that fight but overall knocked out four and a half minutes in the first round and his last time out against justin Toffa, a minute and five seconds so those guys are power punchers though right right well braxton smith is a power puncher so if he does land one of those bombs early the first three minutes of the fight, that would be his avenue. Second thing, it's like, well, dude, he's just so sloppy that Parker will allow himself to not get hit. But look, Parker's not a defensive marvel himself. He gets hit by most guys. And even back in his fight with Alan Bodo, like he's getting his ass kicked by Alan Bodo in the standup before able to force him down to the ground. So he's gonna got to do the same thing here. He's got to grab a hold of of Braxton Smith. He's got to peel him to the ground. He's got to set up some top control. We talked about the size of, of uh, Devin Clark's legs. Well, Parker Porter, I mean, he's got a couple barrels on him. Once he sets up on top, it's very hard to get this guy off half guard, right? So I I would think that the game plan is get a hold of him, take him down and wear on him. Braxton Smith's last six fights of his career, every fight of his career, I think the longest he's had a fight last is two minutes and two seconds. So chances are he's got no cardio and chances are Parker can just get him out of the first three minutes and get him down at least once. Game over, minus mm-hmm. 160, and Parker's on top. You are gonna feel like the smartest guy in the world, but yeah, the getting him down is gonna be the tough part because he's just gonna come and swing those those maracas at you, and if one of them hits, chances are you're gonna be feeling it. And at heavyweight, you know, you feel it so quick. The guy pounces on you, he lands two more follow up shots, the ref jumps in, the fight's over. So he's got a mind his p's and q's. He's gotta be smart, but yeah, you gotta go with experience, which is Parker Porter he's fought in the UFC a bunch of times, fought in some decent guys got a grappling advantage, got a cardio advantage, but it's MMA, right? And there's other guys on the card that are playing the same game as you, Parker. I'm a lot better than this guy, And I just got to mind my P's and Q's and not slip up. So it will take Parker Porter. However, because it's not even middling heavyweights, it's like scraping the bottom of the barrel heavyweights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You can't feel confident about it and you can't throw it on parlays high up. Like you just, you gotta be reasonable, but the play will be Parker Porter. Last thing I will give to you. Uh, it would be the live betting situation, right? Like round to round, not as much. This one probably not going to go beyond a round or two, probably just one. But if you can get it live and that Parker's getting slapped silly but doesn't get knocked out, maybe you take him. The fight ends if it did get out of the first round, but he had been beat up and it was a 10-8 round kind of thing. Uh, as long as he's still there after the first, I think you could hit him live. But I just don't see this thing going one. Not going one and a half, but it's either Braxton Smith's going to knock him out in the first two minutes, Mm -hmm. or he's going to get a hold of him and take him down around three minutes, and it ain't making it to five minutes. So we'll take Parker Porter inside the distance.
0: Yeah, the live it's like it's going to be tough. You're going to have to like time that thing perfectly. Yeah, yeah, you got. You're going to have to time it pretty well. It's like as soon as Parker Porter gets a hold of him, you're going to have to like fire. And like the books are getting a lot better at pulling those markets right at the the precise moment where. You know, us betters are going to capitalize I on
1: that. I will throw one thing that I would like to throw out that I hate this, but it, the PFL must be honey honeydicking people, man. Those lines cannot be real. Those oh, don't no, exist anywhere. Not. There's no way that this guy is still a plus 300 after just dropping the guy. Like, there's no way. And you it's know. so frustrating. So frustrating. PFL has to be honey honeydicking you. To making an account with that book before you realize, wait a second, these lines don't work. They They've want, already got all your sign up information. They want you That's to log
0: it. into that book and have a look at it. Yeah, a lot of people don't know what worst. line what odds mean. But like you me and you, we we work in production, television production, yada yada yada. You've done a whole bunch of live events and stuff. You realize the chain of command, right? Like where it's like when we were yeah, directly. We network player, yeah, it's just like to get right, anything right. done, you have to go through like three other people we're different here with mayo stuff it's just like it's me it's mayo it, things get done a lot quicker that way but it's like you know and like a big by the time yeah a, a graphic would have to be uh, approved by bobby t and this person's got a fire then this person's got a call for by the time you do that in live betting it's just like 30 seconds in live betting of mma can change everything like one knockdown and it's just like well that the entire fight just flipped uh, on its head from, like, a guy being a minus 300 favorite. Now he's a plus 200 underdog. Like, that's – things happen way too much in real time for, like, graphics and that type of stuff. So, it's like, in my opinion, when I watch the broadcast and I see the same thing as you, I'm like, they shouldn't even bother doing this. It seems like a general mm. waste of time, like, you know. Um, but, yeah, so they're, they're trying. They, they know that the people tuning in to PFL, let's face it, they're degenerates like all of us. Like those, the people who are still sticking around 52 and a half minutes into Dogger Pass right now, listening to us right now, it's like they are, the PFL is broadcasting to you. They know that you're, you're the sick man. You're the sick person, man or woman, tuning in. Uh, you got bets on it. Otherwise, you'd probably be do, doing something else with your Friday night. That's just my thoughts on the matter. We got Ikram Alaskarov taking on Phil Haas. Minus 210 for Alaskarov, plus 180 for Phil Haas. Um, you're not going to hear this on any other podcast, Cody, but Ikram Alaskarov only loss against Tom Zatchimayev. Obviously, he was on Contender Series. He looked the part there. I mean, the one blemish on his record. <laughs> not you know, not a, bad lo- uh, not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination, Interesting matchup taking on a guy with the wrestling pedigree of Phil Haas. Um, but uh, my problem with Haas, if, if all else is equal, say if like the wrestling is a complete uh, wash between these two guys, I don't trust Phil Haas' chin if this turns into an absolute banger fight. So I think Ikram is the side at minus 210. I don't know if I'm going to attack it from a betting perspective, though. What's your take here?
1: Yeah, so this is a fight 100% I'm looking at from a live betting opportunity. Um, Alistair yeah, I'm sure you'll hear from everybody. He's only lost this to Kamzat Chamay. What you won't hear is that that fight's at a catch weight of 175 pounds. And he was the middleweight, and Hamzat was the welterweight. And Hamzat, known for his wrestling, very young, very green knocks him out in two minutes like i don't know how good his durability is he's got a nasty kimura <laughs> he can wrestle he gets you to the ground he's going to give you some problems but his striking is really not all that good it's very uh not great timing on it you know very open doesn't move his head there to get hit but he gets a hold of you he t- takes you down so well, phil hawes is a junior college national champion right the guy transferred over to a d1 school the guy uh has legitimate wrestling. So I don't know that I would say that Aliskarov has a wrestling advantage over him. In terms of the striking, Phil Haas has the better striking. In terms of the power, Phil Haas has got some ridiculously good power. But yeah, Phil finds ways to lose. Phil's got bad gas tank. Phil's got bad cardio. Phil makes questionable decisions. That's why he loses fights. But like on paper, he's got the skill set to give Aliskarov a lot of prompts. The way I see Aliskarov winning this fight is he needs to drag him out into those later rounds. In that first round, if he just stands with him, he's going to lose the exchanges. If he tries to take him down, Phil's going to be strong enough and explosive enough to, to sprawl him out and beat him in the exchanges. So then you hit a list grow up at a much better price tag than minus 210, going to that second round and constantly shooting the takedowns, constantly coming forward. All of a sudden, the speed, the athleticism, everything from Phil fall, falls off the cliff Man, it's just the way he fights. I think when you have that explosive, fast twitch muscle, everything you do is just very kinetic. You can't keep it going for 15 minutes. He's essentially this generation's Melvin Gillard, You know, just extremely explosive, very talented guy. Can't seem to put it all together. Come fight night, is going to win some ni- nasty fights in spectacular fashion. But as a whole, not going to be a, a contender just because even though he's got a world class skill set, his heart's lacking, his durability's lacking, and his cardio's lacking. And my personal opinion those are probably the three most important skills to have in mixed martial arts again looking at his last run it hasn't been great Chris Curtis he's looking like a million dollars in the Chris Curtis fight just one lapse gets caught topples over he had a grappling match with Andre Petrovsky which he looked awful in his fight with Duran Wynn it looked just like Phil Haas hitting the punching bag in the gym Deron Wynn did absolutely nothing in that fight other than get pummeled post to post and still Phil's getting tired in that fight landing all them elbows and then he gets torched by Roman Deletes his last timeout. So, again, you know that he's got questionable durability. You know he's got questionable cardio. But he's an absolute tyrant usually for that first round. Unless you're Roman Deletes, big, big power, you can match him in that big, big power. Mm-hmm. I don't see that from Aliskarov. He's a Russian grappler. He's not one of these guys that's going to bang it out with you. At least he doesn't want to. He needs to prolong this thing into the second and the third round to come away victorious. So I think minus 210 preflop, yeah, I would bet him because I think he's going to win. But I think we can get a much better price on that after the first.
0: Um, What do you think of over one and a half rounds? Like pretty much a pick them over two and a half rounds plus 165.
1: Yeah, I would say the over one and a half is tempting to me. You'll see that Phil Haas' last two fights, both losses, both ended in the first round and, and, and gives you the impression that, oh, he's just a first round guy. But like, no, no, I, I don't think, I think he would like to maybe uh, take his time because he knows he doesn't gate cardio. If he knows he just can't flash knock you out in the first two minutes, which is ideal, then I think he's just going to pace himself. And Aliskarov, he's looking to take him into some deeper waters. The over two and a half, or like the fight starts round three, I don't like that nearly as much because... Yeah, Phil's just a stick of dynamite, dude. He's either gonna blow up in your face and take you out, or he'll blow up in his own in his it blows up in his own hand and he takes himself out. Just the way you fight. So fight goes a distance, not feeling it. Over two and a half, possible, not great. But the over one and a half, kind of at even money. Mm-hmm. I think I would take a stab there. Or if you're not a degenerate, just play this one safe. Don't bet it on it whatsoever. But again, have a look at the live betting market if you are an Alistair guy. I think we get a better price. And if he smokes Phil Haas in the first round, or even if he just wins the first round, that live betting window is not existing anymore. Like, that first round's key for Haas. If he loses that one, there's no coming back.
0: All right, we got Rafael Estevam taking on Zalgis Zumagulov. Back from retirement, Zalgis. Happy to see him back. Poor guy just can't catch a break in any decision. Like, judges hate him. Uh, and he's been in like his record could look so, totally different than that 14 and an eight like he's all of these fights have been incredibly close he just can't get a break the judges just never score rounds for him fights that he should have won he doesn't get them. uh Estevam at minus 185 seems a little bit much but like I mean Jalgas was literally had just retired so uh, maybe there's a little bit of people thinking that's a bit of a red flag, which I can't really blame them for. Um, what's your What are your thoughts on this one, Code?
1: Yeah, so it's Zalgus, right? Uh, I'd love to feel bad for him because he's getting the dirty end of the stick for sure. But you have to realize that this guy, he's got like this karma cloud sitting over top of him. Because you'll remember he fought Tagir Ulambekov back in the day in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And he got taken down about 26 times. And it's probably the filthiest robbery I've ever seen in my life. And it's like, oh, man. Then his very next fight against Ali Bogatinov, he wins on a split decision. They were giving him the decisions. Now in the UFC, yeah, he should have beaten Charles Johnson. He should have beat Jeff Molina. And uh, he should have beaten Rolyon Pava. So three of his five losses in the UFC probably should be wins. But, yeah, this is a guy that got some greasy wins himself back in the day. So hard to feel too bad for him. Here's the thing I noticed. All of his fights are close. They're pretty much competitive uh he, it's generally going to go the 15 full minutes and it's subjective like he gets really good starts he starts well he's got power in both hands for flyweight he backs his opponents up his takedown defense is not terrible in the early going but uh he seems to tire Paul it seems to me like it's the case of he definitely wins the first seven and a half minutes versus he's losing the latter seven and a half minutes And in- And then it's up to the judges to decide what they like. His fight with Charles Johnson, again, he starts off well. He's getting takedowns, but Charles starts to win the striking exchanges. Picks up late, does well late. His fight with Jeff Molina, I get Jeff was even himself saying, yeah, I lost this fight, I lost this fight. But Jeff lands far superior shots to him, outvolumes him, and pulls away late. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. The key for me, though, was the Amir al fight. So, like we said, when he fought Tagir Ulambekov, I mean, he got taken down. I I I said 26 earlier. I counted one time. I think it's 23. Regardless, he got taken down over 20 times. Then you look at him in the UFC, and it's like, man, Amir al-Bazi did the same thing. He used the takedowns extremely effectively and then had a superior gr- ground game. If you want to be Jerome Rivera, stand a bang. Menel Kaap, stand a bang. Chef Molina, stand a bang. Charles Johnson, maybe the worst wrestler in the division. Those guys didn't try to use that game plan, but that's the game plan to securing wins over Zalgus. I think is grind him up, take him down. He doesn't got great cardio to begin with, so the more you can lean on him, he will tire. The more he tires, you'll pull away. Um, Maybe you try to bet some cheeky prop, like a buy split decision, something like that. They always seem to be split decisions. But yeah, I I actually really like what I see of this Rafael Estevam. I don't generally credit Brazilians as being like wrestlers and not being their best character but, yeah, at 11-0, man, this kid's 26 years old. He's very, very strong, and he chain wrestles. He shoots a ton of takedowns. His LFA fight with Felipe Estevez. Estevez was an undefeated prospect, looked legit. Uh, Rafael Estevan comes in as the betting underdog. and Damn, dude, th- this kid ties it together. Nasty ground and pound, solid ground game. And his fight with Joe Elias on the contender series, much of the same. Scores two takedowns, outgrapples him, puts a pace on him. He's got nice cardio. He's got solid wrestling. That seems to be the way to beat match Matches pace, tire him out. You know, force under the ground if you want to stand and bang with Zalgaz it's going to be a close subjective split decision but taking him down has generally re- yielded the best results I think Estevam could possibly do that so I generally bet Zalgaz and get screwed on a split decision uh, I'm hoping I bet against him here and get, win a split decision or something stupid but you get how it goes it's flyweights it's close Zalgaz is a badass but I think the path of victory here Favors Estevam and I just got to I got to go with
0: that. And Estevam's, I mean, that debut on Contender Series against a guy who's like has a half decent record, like it's a Brazilian record, so lots of first round submissions. But it's like he took down a submission specialist twice, just completely dominated from top position, landed at will. Pretty impressive performance. Maybe maybe it's just like. Jalgas has another fight left on his deal, and they're like, well, we got this Brazilian guy. And it's like, even if he gets extended to decision, y- you know Adelaide, Bird, and whoever else are going to get we'll, – We'll get Sold this the Brazilian model. kid a win um, uh, by, by hook or by crook. Uh, yeah, Esteban for both of us. Moving on down, we got Claudio Ribeiro taking on Joseph Holmes. Minus 175, Ribeiro, plus 150. For Holmes, this one's like a super, super greasy fight. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Holmes. I think he's got half-decent grappling um, if he's able to get it there. haven't really seen the wrestling to get it there. Uh, Ribeiro, on the other hand, like you were kind of dead on I believe last time out against, um, against Red, Red, Reddu- Abdul Razak Al-Hassan where it's just like, this Ribeiro guy like you know, he started hot, but it's just like wasn't able to get him out of there and Uh, he basically got like out cardioed by Abdul Razak al-Hassan. So, you know, that's not a great time. Um, I I think it's kind of, you know, the, the under in this fight is at one and a half rounds. I think the fight is kind of plays out pretty like well, like within expectations. Like Ribeiro could absolutely clown on him, absolutely bomb on him. Early on in this fight, in the first five minutes, like it could be not competitive at all, but it's like if Holmes is able to get this fight to the mat or is able to push him up against the cage, control him there, make this fight a little bit ugly early on, he'll take over late. Um, I, I 100% won't bet it, but I'll pick... Uh, Joseph Holmes for the purposes of this show, uh, at plus one fifty. But like those first five minutes, I expect to probably be pretty ugly. That his chin's gonna have to hold up, uh, to get through the fire to to find victory. Uh, Holmes is the pick. But yeah, it's not it's not gonna be game my money. What's your take here?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I got Joseph Holmes too. And I was thinking, I was like, damn, it'd be nice if James Krause was actually still with, working with Joseph Holmes because all it takes is like a modicum of game plan, and he's gonna win. Then I got thinking probably for the best that he's not working with James Crouse, because then it's like you could win, but don't. So, uh, yeah, let's just throw that right out the window and hope Joseph Holmes does what he's capable of doing, which is not much, but enough to beat Claudio Ribeiro. I mean, Claudio Ribeiro is terrible. You and I have been doing this show for nine years, right? And uh, while we were doing shows in college together, but like the official Dogger Pass Bookie Beat Dad show, nine years. There Was a time where you'd be like UFC caliber, UFC caliber. This guy got to the UFC because he beat some guy that used to be in the UFC. There was a level Claudio Roberto. I think you could show to any young aspiring fighter who has no talent and say, You too could make them a UFC someday. Braxton Smith is in the yeah, UFC from right, bum rushing guys. Like Claudio is in the UFC and he's he, he's he's not very good. When you see him on the Brazilian regional scene, I mean, the guy's got no ability to get off the cage, right? His grappling's not very good. He'll bang it out with you. He's willing to throw some power, but his durability, head way up in the air, not very good. Now, he fights as uh, Kelly's Albuquerque. Kelly's Albuquerque is 40 years old. He's a former 155-pound fighter who was fighting at 170 because he was old and out of shape and decides to fight him in a five-round fight at 185 pounds. And Kelis Albuquerque puts the scare of God into Claudio Ribeiro on multiple occasions and damn near beats him, man. Terrible fight. But Dana doesn't care. They're just looking to bring you on the contender series. Ah, it was entertaining enough. The kid throws down. Sure, they throw him in there against Ivan Venezuela. He kicks his leg. Venezuela, like, turns. And he just blasts his ass. So it's the kind of knockout you're not going to give the guy a contract, right? It was pretty sweet. Don't get me wrong. But it was... Solo level and like you know two bums in a bar. One guy knocks out the other guy. You're going to give him a contract too. But yes, yes, that's what contender series is for. Uh against Razak Al Hassan, like you said, he starts off well. He's willing. You know, he wants to fight. he' is a he's got a fighter's heart. He maybe doesn't have the most refined skill set, but he's there to do a job. And he came at Al uh, he came at Al Hassan, but Al Hassan did what a lot of other guys in the regional so regional scene did very effectively which is control him up against the cage he's got no way to get off of that his cardio zaps really fast he doesn't take a punch particularly well and he stands a little bit high up so the shots are there and Al the same, completely flat lines up. joseph holmes meanwhile joseph holmes has got better wrestling and a better ground game he forces him up against the cage he'll be able to win those clinch exchanges up against the cage force a couple takedowns and he's got the better ground game in terms of is striking he's actually got a little bit of boxing in his arsenal and some decent kicks from the outside if he just avoids those big big early shots then i think that claudia is going to tire out and joseph holmes could beat him with the striking he can beat him with the striking he can beat him with the grappling and as i go to hit it i'm like the guy lost to jamie pickett (laughs) so are you going to trust joseph holmes no you are not going to trust joseph Holmes. we're going to pick him we're going to put him on some greasy perlays we're going to have some small money action on him But just because Claudio is awful doesn't mean we can just slam it against him because we're slamming Joseph Holm, who's just like not very
0: good, Mm -hmm.
1: but good enough. And I think he will get the victory. But uh, just how could you feel great about it is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly the same thoughts as me. It's just like there's a lot of other spots on the card before I get to a Joseph Holmes plus 150. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, we got Daniel, Z- Daniel Santos taking on Johnny Munoz. Daniel Santos, a minus 185 favorite. Munoz can be have for plus 160. I've backed Willie Cat as a big underdog against Julio Arche in his debut. I mean, he got dominated from pillar to post. But, like, Arche, you know, well, well-seasoned well veteran um, with excellent striking, excellent training partners. It was a really, really tough spot to step up and in in your debut for him. Uh, followed that up against John Castaneda. And just, like, a lot of the stuff that I saw on the regional scene with this guy show that's like yeah, this guy's I think his cardio is pretty decent, he's very very wild um has some like really flashy techniques, but uh he's definitely got the heart and the will to win here um can't say the same about Johnny Munoz Munoz should have like a grapple a wrestling advantage here um and he's gonna have to stick to that wrestling game plan, but at range, I think the line's probably pretty correct, I think Danny will willie cat. Should absolutely eat him up at range. So he will be my pick for this one. What about you, bud?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take Wiley Cat as well. And again, uh, one of the three or four fights that I'm looking to maybe hit in the live market as well. Thinking it can maybe get a better um, price on Wiley Cat. So again, if you look at what is Munoz bringing to the table, he does have the wrestling advantage. And he does have some nasty top game. He generally scores a few takedowns. Two in his last fight against Ludovic Shalinian. Two against Jamie Simmons. He got flat rod by Nate Maness, but he had taken Nate Maness down twice as well. His records probably should be a little bit better than it is. His wrestling's not terrible. His ground game's not terrible. Is that he has no output with his strike standing, and I don't think he can take a really good shot. Tony Gravely absolutely throttled him, uh, in like I don't know, it was a little over a minute. He just mm-hmm. completely throttled him, drops him to the ground. Uh, I think Wiley Cat's going to bring that same tenacity. The thing with Wiley Cat is for these guys that just throw super wild all the time. How can you do that for 15 minutes? Like, it's going to sap your energy. But homeboy looks like he can do it for 15 minutes, man. Like, he throws down. The thing with Julio is Julio Arche is a southpaw. Julio Arche is a former Golden Glove boxing competitor. He has a nasty kickboxing resume. He's got a nasty, nasty jab straight down the middle. And he plays the range very effectively. So he just matadored Wiley Cat the whole time. John Castanonata, he's more just tough. And tough means you're going to get hit. And getting hit, not what you want to do against Wiley Cat. Munoz probably does get the wrestling going early, but I think that Wiley Cat Daniel Santos is able to survive early, work his way back up to his feet, and at some point lands that crushing blow. Up minus 185. God, I'm just so hesitant because, again, I think he is probably giving up some wrestling. I'm not completely writing off Johnny Munoz Jr. I think he's got some decent skills. Don't love how he matches up here because I think that his durability will come into play. You don't fight Wiley Cat and just walk away unscathed. He's going to land something at some point, and when Daniel Santos lands... It's not so good. So Munoz wins the first round, I'm going to guess. Munoz may be in it for a part of the second. He may even win the second, but I'm thinking he gets knocked out in the second, or if not, knocked out in the third. And I'm thinking I can get a better price on it in the live market after, you know, a uh, tentative first round, let's say. So Wildcat will be the pick. And uh, again, I'm just, I don't love the minus 185, so I'm seeing if I can improve that.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Willycat uh, knock him out in the first round, but. Um, But yeah, minus 185, I'm struggling to get to it Because I do think Munoz, at least early Will be able to secure some takedowns And, and hold some position But uh, yeah, bets that I'm on this week Just quickly, so far uh, Not sure how much more I'm going to add To be perfectly honest But I got Verna at plus 140 Devin Clark plus 180 And Cron Gracie by submission plus 230 Hit him with the PRP code
1: We're going to go with Aljamain Sterling. Of course, don't love it, but it's a 50-50 main event. And technically, so technically, according to this sheet especially, he's the underdog. (laughs) So, underdog number one. We're going to take Blah Muhammad at plus 105. What's up? We're going all underdogs. All jokes aside, they're pretty much even money picks, but two two underdogs. Uh, I'm going to go with Jessica Draj. I'm going to go with Movzar Evloev, even though I don't have a price. There's no world, no parallel universe that exists where he's plus money. Uh, Kron Gracie will be dog number three. We're going to go with Drew Dober. We're going to go with Devin Clark, dog number four. Chaos Williams. Vernon Jandaroba, dog number five, Parker Porter, Ikram Aliskarov, Rafael Estevam, uh, Joseph Holmes, his dog number six, and then Daniel Santos. So, again, 14 fight cards, six underdogs, sounds about right, but in actuality, you got a couple even money picks on there. So, uh I like this card a lot better than I do last week, both from a betting perspective and also last week was like 11 shady looking fights, and this is 14 good looking fights. So, I think that you can mix match a lot better this week. And, uh, and yeah, and hopefully just find something that's going to stick. So I can see that there's a potential apple pie shader here and there in the card. I'm just hoping we can avoid it and uh, enjoy this UFC Newark card.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Matt and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck.